0: Today is a day of pause. I travel back in my mind to 20 years ago, walking through St. Petersburg in Russia, and the visit that I was about to make was one to Alexander Nevsky's convent, right next to it was a famous cemetery, I walked in, and unbeknown to me, I came across the tomb of Fyodor Dostoevsky. Now, I read that book, Crime and Punishment, with my daughter, who's 16 years old, as a summer project. Three of us read it together, wife, daughter, and myself. That's quite an ask. But Dostoevsky has always been a figure that I have read together with Tolstoy and enjoyed there on his epitaph and his tombstone was john chapter 12 verse 24 about a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying and then bearing fruit but the phrase that comes to me tonight as i think back of dostoevsky is what he said about the hell that is let loose when man drifts away from the creator's moorings when you look at where we are in 2024, those words seem to bear out as we look upon this tenuous world in which we live. A day of pause, a day when we come as a church family and come clean. We come from behind the walls, and we need to be transparent. We come with a sense of open heart, We take off the masks that we wear from day to day. We take up the sorrow that for too long we've lived in a distant country, that we have suffered from spiritual amnesia through the last year, that we've checked out of working and loving and worshipping our God on the cheap instead of costly love. We've offered him too often the husks, of lies, of lust, of deceit, of self-centeredness and gossip and pride. And we could go on. Today is an acknowledgement that we've traveled too light in the past year. And we come with confession, we come with sorrow, we come with a longing for God's forgiveness and restoration psalm 51 is probably the best known prayer of confession in all of scripture it's what we would say traditionally the fourth the summit the apex of the traditional seven penitential psalms on either side you would have psalm 6 32 38 Then the summit, Psalm 51, which we'll look at for a few devotional moments this evening. On the other side of the summit is Psalm 102, 130, and 143. It was Brueggemann, who's been here, I've heard him speak here some years ago, who argued that when we read Psalm 51, we find a passionate admission that life is a mess. Life is a mess. Well, when we come to read this text, we need to understand the context, the backdrop. We find that in, in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. For here we find the sordid saga of David's history. It's a sordid saga that we don't need to repeat. We know it well. We know how David's lust has led to a violation of trust, adultery. We know how David's duplicity, And his treachery has led to murder it's well told for us the king of israel has fallen and the prophet nathan the mouthpiece of god the arrow taken from the divine quiver has been shot into the king's palace and here he comes and with a jolt he wakes up david with a story he brings him to account and summons him out of his moral coma And says you are the man that's the backdrop for this psalm we know the struggle of our sinful nature from day to day the cycles the patterns that we would often want to fall into the treacherous paths that await us the minefields we know those addictions that would encircle us and chain us we know those habits those quarrels that guilt that robs us of our joy and meaning when we stray off the path. We know that life is about a battleground from day to day. We know that it is too easy to get into a moral muddle and to fudge and to get marginalized from the joy and the purposes of fellowship with God. James Mays reminds us why the gospel has the bad news first. James Mays reminds us as to what our purpose is this evening. He writes, and I quote directly this Old Testament scholar, writes, it is the divine oversight of human life that makes talk about sin meaningful and necessary. It's the divine oversight of human life that makes talk about sin meaningful and necessary he continues when there is no reckoning of oversight by God the vocabulary of sin becomes meaningless and atrophies let's read the psalm in a few moments that we have and I'm going to read selectively and I'm going to just take a few thoughts Reading from this psalm, now that you've heard the context, verse one, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. There's your title. I have sinned. I have sinned. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. In the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." I pick up a few more verses right at the end. A cry for pardon, those first nine verses. a cry for pardon. I see first in that cry for pardon. The anchoring of david's confession here. the psalmist's confession is anchored in the character of God. Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish preacher, says that in this psalm, David shows us his hopelessness must be anchored in hope. And the hope that you have and I have and David had is in the mercy of God. That's where the hope is. That's the ground of our hope, in the character of God. Note three things about God's character right in these first two verses that I'm going to concentrate on. Be gracious. Your translation, perhaps, have mercy. To me, O God. That speaks of an inferior, beseeching a one who is superior. David does not need to be tutored in how to approach God. He comes with brokenness, bowed face before God, probably lying flat on his face, and he calls upon God for mercy. God, you are the one who is the one who created the universe. You threw down the building blocks and the vaults of the earth. You, the king of the cosmos, and I'm a broken, destitute, sinful king of Israel that comes to you. Have mercy. He comes with no contest, he comes with no claim, no merit. Appealing to the character of God, have mercy. Then he goes on and he claims, according to your loving kindness, God, I come to you and I appeal to your character and what flows through your person is loving kindness. The key Hebrew word, the golden word, chesed, that covenant word that is anchored in covenant relationship between the king and God and between Israel and God. He comes with his covenant obligation. And he comes and he says, you can translate it. I don't know your translation that you've got there. I've got loving kindness. It could be steadfast love. It could be unfailing love, relentless good. There are so many translations that struggle to capture this loving kindness of God, where God will be faithful amidst our faithlessness god's stubborn unswerving, swerving and deviating love that will not let israel go that will not let david go that will not let you and me go chesed covenant love loving kindness the third dimension of god's character that david appeals to is his compassion by the way before i move on there you remember the Jesus story in Luke fifteen, that trilogy of lostness, the lost sheep, the lost coin, two lost sons. Do you remember the prodigal, the younger son, who comes back after wasting everything in the distant country? He says, Father, what irony, father, what paradox. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Juxtapose son and father. That's the idea of David coming before God. Father, I come to you broken. The third one, to go back to that now, is compassion. This word compassion is one that talks about the viscera, the internal being of God. The word that is used here in Hebrew is raham, which means the womb. It refers to a mother who has a little life. Developing beneath her heart and she has this protective instinct and this incredible love for this little one that is to be born It's the word used of Joseph when he meets Benjamin over all those lost years and when he sees him He has to extricate himself from the room and he goes out and he weeps from the viscera with compassion in that moral event and that crisis of emotion and deep-to-deep feeling that's our God When we come on our knees, we come to a God who offers us mercy, who offers us loving kindness, who offers us compassion. Moving back on to the second point here. When you come with a cry of pardon, you appeal or you anchor your request in the character of God. When you come seeking this cry for pardon, you admit the gravity of your sin. look at david's vocabulary of lostness how he talks about the wretchedness of his sin look how he uses the personal pronoun wash me my iniquity cleanse me my transgressions my sin is ever before me transgression iniquity sin three words let's play them out very quickly transgression the word transgression here in the psalm has behind it the idea of rebellion it's a word of sedition it's a word of treason it's a word of rank mutiny David the king has flown the standards and the banner of mutiny against his God that's the transgression that he has committed It is one that has volitional disobedience behind it. How often we choose that treacherous reef and jagged reef of sin. We walk deliberately, flirting with the dangers of our world. And we wonder why we sometimes fall off the edge of the cliff and find ourselves at the bottom. Transgressions is rebellion. It's volitional disobedience, iniquity. Iniquity refers to waywardness. The root behind waywardness here is crookedness. God is straight. We are crooked. We are crooked and a perverse people. We are people that are inclined to wonder. We are ones that, as Jeremiah 17:9 reminds us, with deceitful hearts above all things. We teach a child how to trace out the ABCs of the letters for the alphabet. God has his ABCs in terms of his moral code and ethic and precepts. And we trace outside the lines, the margins, and we wonder why we fall. So the cry for pardon is there is before us transgression. There is before us iniquity. We have committed the acts. We know what they are today as we sit here this evening. We've committed the acts, but there's much more than just the act. We've got to come back and say, change me. I'm the problem, not the victim, which our world would sell us. I'm the problem. God, work with me. Work in the DNA of my being. Change me. This word, iniquity, has about it a bias in England. They play bowls. You play it here too. It's a different breed of breed of game but anyway you play it here that bias there's this bias this propensity this proclivity towards evil in the part of our nature in our dna that we've got to guard against third word sin missing the mark the arrow that is flighted from the bow towards the target but falls short sorrow when that happens for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god God's dream for our lives. As David must have reflected, God, I I remember those days when I was a shepherd and you protected me from the lion and the bear. I remember that day when I walked into that valley with a sling shot and five pebbles and you helped me level the giant Goliath. I remember those days when I would hide and run from the evil machinations of Saul. God, I remember that day when I was summoned from the sheep postures, and there I came in front of that rugged prophet called Samuel, and he took the powder, that uh, powder horn, and he took it and out of it, oozed oil that was warm over the head and my neck, and that was the proleptic incarnation, recognition de facto there that I would one day be king. But God, I've stumbled I've besmirched your character. There's a breach of trust here. I've broken trust with you. The music has stopped in my life. For that year, did David ever play his harp? There's no light in the palace, in the darkness of the king's lair. No joy. You know, when Bonhoeffer said, when you're cold towards God, there's probably sin in your life and in my life. We come to the third part. I need to move. The cry for pardon appeals to the forgiveness of God. Yes, we anchor the plea, the cry for pardon in the character of God. We come clean, the second part, we come clean. We own the gravitas, the gravity of our sin, the transactions that we've committed. Third, we come appealing to God for forgiveness. Blot out my transgression. Cancel it, purge it out. Expunge it. Erase it. You know about that. You talk about high school students. What's going to be on your permanent record? I heard a week ago, that one of the counselors at one of the schools saying, your high school transcript will travel with you the rest of your lives. Work hard. David comes and he says, blot out, expunge my record. Take the transcript of my life with its Fs and help me start again god tear out the sordid pages the soiled pages write a new story a new chapter for my life blot out my transgressions look at the next one cleanse me wash me thoroughly from my iniquity this is a vigorous word i see africa when i see this word but i need to stay within the hebrew world but it's identical there is the the woman out there pounding, pummeling, kneading, stomping, trying to get the dirt in the deep garment out on the river's edge against the rocks. Deep down, God, clean me out where it's dark and murky, where you know I hide. Wash me thoroughly. But also, deliver me, Lord from my own predicament of self. You know my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my narcissism. Deliver me from the predicament of myself. Last one, cleanse me. Cleanse me from my sin. The idea of leprosy. Sin as a leprosy. To be cleansed. Spiritual leprosy. The leper who was out out of community, unclean, untouchable alienated, disfigured, maimed, leprosy that brought death, sin that brings spiritual death. Lord, cleanse us of that. Well, my time is up, but I need to finish with verse 10 and 11 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, Create. Bara. When God creates, and there are two creation accounts in Genesis, that word bara used in Genesis 1, when God creates, He's the subject. He brings into being something out of nothing. We cannot create. We can procreate. We need the raw materials. God does not. He can create out of nothing. Create in me, God, a new, new heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. The gift of a new chance. That's how Brueggemann talks about his sermon on Psalm 51 the gift of a new chance. That's the gospel. It costs you and me to ask somebody for forgiveness tangentially. It costs God so much to forgive us. That's the gospel, the cross, the suffering love of Jesus, the Son of God, the reality of His death on the cross to which we journey in these days. And the broken heart of God as He watches His Son take that transaction of humanity's sin on His shoulders. That's The crisis of our sin and rebellion transgression iniquity and sin but he comes with love forgiveness tenderness compassion mercy and he says i breathed life in a handful of inanimate dust i kissed it into life and we had adam and i can come into your brokenness and i can mend it i can come into your dust and your life and your chapters of struggle, and I can mend them. I can breathe new life. Barah, I can create a new being. Will we let him? Will we let him? Thank you.